0: Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining me today, he's an international model, real estate investor, and trainer. It's Jonathan Nisel. How are you doing today, Jonathan? Great, Alex. How are you? Doing good. We are so excited to have you on the show to talk about your Rise to the Challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go
1: right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. Uh, so, I'm originally from Canada. I'm coming to you from Texas right now, but I'm from Canada, born and raised about two and a half hours outside of Toronto. East of Toronto, I grew up on a 500-acre farm out there. Um, It was a wonderful childhood. Tons of time spent outdoors. Um, Lots of hard work to be done on the farm. Lots of lessons to be learned on the farm. Um, Very, I've always been very athletically um, driven, and I guess you could say obsessed. I mean, (laughs) fitness and fitness and sports have always been a very big part of my life. So that was a big part of my childhood uh very family oriented. But uh yeah, that's that's kind of how I grew up. I and then I moved here uh to Texas about four years ago, almost four and a half years ago. So I'm in Fort Worth, Texas, and I love it. I'm I'm gladly taking the hundred degree summers to uh <laughs> not have to deal with the minus forty degree winters in Canada. So I uh yeah I'm I'm really enjoying it.
0: I was going to say you can go to polar opposite territories in certain seasons from Canada to Texas.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was looking for too. I got I've traveled quite a bit for work and I've lived all over the US for work and for school and stuff. And I was in Philly and, and New York and Miami. And I've traveled all over and I was I'm a dual citizen, uh, because my father was born and raised in Michigan. And I uh I was like, I'm not a, I'm taking this other passport. I'm heading <laughs> South, like really south. That's far. So yeah, I grabbed my dog, uh, 26 hour drive, just had the Jeep and the U-Haul trailer and hired some movers to grab the stuff and didn't look back. I didn't want to look back and say like, you know, what if, or or I should have, or I wish I would have. And yeah, I'm very glad that I have because Texas has now become my home and uh, my father lives about 20 minutes away from me now. He moved down here two years ago. So yeah, it's a, it's a great place to be. With growing
0: up on a farm, what is the biggest thing it taught you about yourself growing up on the farm and kind of doing the chores and the task on the farm?
1: So growing up on a farm, I, and I always like to explain too, like the farm, we had a beef cattle farm, but our cattle, it wasn't like a beef processing uh, farm. We had uh, show cattle. So we would we would breed purebred Charlet show cattle. They're the all white ones. And we would go to shows like like dog shows. So they were they were pets more than they were food. They got treated fantastically. And like, but the thing that it taught me the most is that it doesn't matter if you don't feel like it that day, or you know, you just feel like pushing it off or pr- procrastinating something. Like these animals' lives depend on you. And if it's forty degrees out and you know, nine o'clock or, or two o'clock in the morning and a cow is having a calf, then you have to get up and you have to go and be a part of that and make sure it happens. And that's with feeding, that's with, you know, doing hay in the summer. That's, you know, we didn't have, um, I mean, we weren't working all the time, all the time, but most of our long weekends, most of our holidays, our afternoons, evenings, you know, that was, that was work. And it taught me a really good work ethic and that discipline of, I don't feel like it. It's like, well, too bad if you don't feel like it. It's like we gotta, we gotta do this. Like these things, like I said, their lives depend on you and the circle of life too. It taught me a lot about that because, you know, on farms, you know, things die, they live. Whether it's it's plants or animals or whatever. So it taught, it taught me a lot about the circle of life when I was when I was younger. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I wouldn't tra- I wouldn't trade it for the for the world. It was a wonderful, very freeing way to grow up. Just to be able to. You know say to my parents like okay i'll be back and just walk off into the woods or the fort or the field for six hours with my dogs and you know that would just be what i would do and i come back and you know i was just free i was out there you know building forts and um gladly my I, my parents never bought me a nintendo I'm, I'm a bit older than you probably but nintendo was still around sega genesis was coming up and they didn't buy they're like you're on the a- you're on a 500 acre farm, like go outside and build something like <laughs> go jump off something like work or like, just play, just do something. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I mean, great. So they really like always uh, encouraged my outdoor activities. So when I was into skateboarding in high school, I had a big paved driveway. My dad and I built all kinds of ramps I had my own little skate park and like with hockey and lacrosse being a big uh, part of my life all throughout my life, you know, we had a whole setup for that and stuff. So yeah, being outside, but just the fact that you have to do things sometimes when you don't feel like doing them. And, uh, that's kind of how things get done. And you, you do it till the job's done. I mean, persistence, you, you stay till the job's done. Like you, you know, you don't just hang out and I'll get back to it. And yeah. So I would say that would, that would be my long answer of what I learned living Mm -hmm. on a farm.
0: And that's such a concept nowadays where you see people in the fitness industry, the work industry. It's kind of like keeping, being persistent to finish the job, finish the task, finish the workout, because you're not going to get the results if you do it half the effort. And especially on a farm, you're, those animals are dependent on you and you got to be out there and take care of them and all what you did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And my always, my father always says too, is just get started. Like if there's something to be done, if there's a task to be done and whatever it is, is just get started and see it through till it's finished, you know, because, you know, it's waiting like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll start next week. And mm-hmm. I've done this, I do this myself. Like, I've you know, I'm not, I've, I see myself doing this as an adult and stuff it's like, oh, okay, I'll start on Monday. I'll start on whatever. It's like, just get started. And, you know, there's not going to be a perfect day and you're going to work through it and stuff like that. I should also mention, mention my parents owned an architectural design firm as well. So they had like two full-time jobs. So a lot of it being the the only son in the family, a lot of the uh, farm work fell on me when my dad was traveling for work and stuff like that too. So, but I wouldn't have had it any other way because I knew that they relied on me and he relied on me. And that made me, you know, want to do it and do it even better and to the best of my ability and to really like work and, and yeah, to, I remember just, you know, coming home from school, you know, like, I mean, a long day at school like it was so hard <laughs> but you know coming home from a day of school and then it was time to go pick rocks and we would just go walk up and down the field you put the tractor in first gear and it just kind of cruises along by itself And you hop off the tractor and you just walk along you find a rock that's going to like it's too big it's going to damage the equipment and you throw it in the bucket and we just walk up and down the fields for hours upon hours but I love it. You know, I, I loved it, and I wouldn't. I would, like I said, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It, it, it was a, a wonderful upbringing, for sure.
0: You talked about being outdoors was such a huge part of your life, and you talked about playing sports. What sport was like your favorite, or the one that you kind of wanted to maybe pursue long term, or that was your best skill at, or that you were skilledful at?
1: So, being in Canada. And, you know, what I'm going to obviously say already, it was hockey. Yeah. Like it, it. you know, my parents weren't from Canada. My mother, my mother's uh, was from Trinidad and my father, like I said, from Michigan. So they didn't grow up playing hockey, but we were in Canada and it was the 80s. And it was like, you're going on the ice. I remember <laughs> I was like, okay. And I remember going out there falling and crying and I'm not made for this. And he's like, get out there. And just, and I grew to love it. Um And then, Uh, lacrosse was my second love and I again my mom just saw a commercial on TV she's like I'm not sure what that sport is but you're playing it and I'm like (laughs) okay so in the winters it was hockey in the summers it was lacrosse Um, I like every kid wanted to be you know the next Wayne Gretzky or a professional hockey player and, and raise the Stanley Cup and go to the NHL and stuff like that but it actually turned out to be lacrosse. That was the one that uh, took me the farthest. I wasn't able to continue playing lacrosse because they didn't offer it at my school when I was in, the, I think, grade seven. So I had to kind of put that on the back burner. And I played soccer, hockey, and cricket, which is, I love cricket. It's not something that people play very often, but I love it. And then um, it just so happened that I went to a different school in the States, outside of Philadelphia, in grade 12 for senior year. And I, they had lacrosse. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll pick up lacrosse again. And I guess I was still kind of decent at it because I was uh, selected for the all-state Pennsylvania team that year and then got a scholarship. And then I went on to continue uh, to play professionally, to play pro lacrosse. So yeah, it turned out to be lacrosse and it was, uh, but I still play hockey to this day. I had this weekend, I had a tournament. I had five games in three days and I'm uh, definitely feeling it, but <laughs> I love to do it. Texas has a great hockey um hockey atmosphere and you know just group of people and lots of rinks and it's a little bit easier on the joints um than lacrosse and then running and stuff like that so I play on four different teams four different leagues uh four days a week and that's how I get my cardio on my leg days in but yeah lacrosse lacrosse gave me a lot of really great opportunities to like I said go to school um to travel, to, you know, to play uh, professionally. And, and yeah, it was pretty, it's pretty wonderful.
0: Was it always the goal to play pro lacrosse or being in the pro leagues for that? Or kind of that question of what's that dream job for you? What was
1: that dream job if it wasn't lacrosse? I mean, ask me like my first job that I ever wanted to be growing up at a farm was a professional bull rider. I thought they were just, <laughs> I thought, I thought they had it all figured out, man. They were the coolest. And we had very docile cattle that, you know, we would walk around a show ring. So my dad would put me on the back of them. They would just sit there and be like, okay, like, what's the kid doing? Like, like, this isn't like I see on TV, which I thankfully, cause those guys are crazy and they break like almost every bone in their body. They're yeah. insane. Um, but no, it wasn't actually, it was, I, like I said, I just happened to pick it up like happenstance um, when I was in grade 12 and then stopped playing and I came back to the area kind of where I grew up and I knew of like the senior, the the Canadian professional league that was there. And I was like, okay, I remember these guys, maybe I'll go try out for this team and, you know, made it and then got drafted to the uh, NLL, the National Lacrosse League. And it just kind of just happened uh, the way it was I. Yeah, it was it was nice when I was growing up. Um, I find now that uh, kids, people in general, I mean, if you're, and I, re- I respect this completely, but it was just very different when I grew up. Like if you're good at something or you have an interest in something, like say hockey in Canada, then that's what people do all year round. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have a dry land coach, you have a nutritionist, you have, a, you know, all these things that we didn't have access to. Like when hockey season ended, we put our bag away, we put our skates away, and then I'd pick up my lacrosse stick for the summer. And just kind of forget about hockey. I'd go to a couple of hockey camps during the summer because my parents were really great that way. They would, you know, afford me an opportunity. But I wouldn't obsess about it all the time, whereas now people want the next Sidney Crosby or the next yeah. Connor McDavid. They want, like, when they put in all this time. And that's where I kind of got burned out at college when lacrosse kind of started to become a job. Even though I did go on a couple years later to play professionally, that was the first time where it was like, oh, I've got to, you know, play fall ball and do this and do that. And I, I wanted to just be a college student and stuff. So it, I, I, I can see how people have that determination and that drive and I respect it. And the fact that they have those, um, those outlets and those things to, you know, to work on all year round. But I think it's good for, to have the variety where you like take a break and stuff away from it too. a lot of, a lot of players, older players, um, Talk about that a lot and how looking for that when they're recruiting. Like, is this person just obsessed with this one sport or they have, mm-hmm. you know, a multitude of sports and yeah, things like that. So,
0: well, you think about one injury can change the whole outcome of them being an athlete. and Event can change the whole outcome of their career. So, not having those other passions or those other activities or other paths that they want to go is so difficult because they are. Are one minded to go that one route. Did Very that true. ever come about for you where, when you had that burnout starting, that you kind of wheels were turning like, okay, what direction could
1: I go now? Definitely. I mean, that's how you identify yourself, right? Like, I mean, now with my careers and things like that, we identify ourselves as, and those are our identities, I should say, as opposed to the identifier. Those, become your identity and like it's you know jonathan Nizel the lacrosse player or jonathan Nizel the hockey player and stuff like that and yeah i mean i i didn't know what was going to happen after college i you know just kind of bounced around a little bit to a couple jobs then ended up working for my father um at his architectural firm which i had always wanted to do but yeah you're right it, it very much like and even throughout my years as we get into the later years as I had a career-ending injury at 26, it was like, okay, maybe it's time to, you know, my body's telling me. Like, I had a good run of it. I got to 26. You know, I tore my knee. I can rehab it and come back and maybe, like, re-injure it. But, like, I feel like that's kind of like, you know, the universe kind of telling me that this is time to move on. And I lost contact with a lot of the people that I played lacrosse with and and the people that, you know, I interacted with in the in the community not obviously because they're bad people just because we didn't have that in common anymore because you know that, that was our our common bond and I still see them on Facebook and they're still great people and stuff but you know it was every weekend three times a week you know we would always see each other and yeah that that kind of that chapter closed and then you know it's on to the next one and trying to find out you're right sometimes you're left scrambling you're like that was my chapter I and mean, that was that was my my identity that was who I am like what what next uh, and then I'm a big believer in when one door closes another one opens and everything happens for a reason. And um, yeah, you have to really look for and, you know, have ideas for what those next things could be, but having multiple, like you're saying, having multiple interests or things going on at the same time in case of, or just be, just to, just to have variety in your life. You know, I'm, that's the one thing I'll talk about. when as we talk about my life and stuff, It's very, single-mindedly focused my dad says is my greatest asset and my worst because you know when I wanted to play lacrosse i played play professional lacrosse when I wanted to drink I drank till I became an alcoholic and was in the hospital with the for a month and almost died and when I decided I started I wanted to start like working out I did that obsessively but you know I've started to learn balance now but yeah much more balance it's uh it's good to practice that because you're right if something does happen, God forbid, knock on wood, but it's good to know who else you are, who you are besides that, you know, besides that thing, like who you truly are. So
0: you just talked about some big moments that happen in your life with the injuries, with alcohol, a lot of steps that happened in your life took a turn. Did you feel that this was kind of hurting where you're going next because you maybe had a moment like the injury and then it kind of changed your path and then something else may have happened. Did that ever hurt mentality on, I don't know where I'm going to go because something could happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, Oh, so, so my story, I guess, really begins like the day before my 21st birthday and an instance like that. And, I was. just, I had just, uh, I'd come back from college. I was living on the farm for about a year with my mother um, to spend some time. And then it was time, you know, I was 20. I was like, yeah, I want to move out. I want to get my first adult job. I was going to go sell cars in this place that was about two and a half hours away. You know, time to get out on my own time to do my own thing. And the day before my 21st birthday, I got a call and it was from my home number. And I was expecting that we were going to like, you know, just plan what our our plan was because she was going to come up and we were going to celebrate my 21st birthday and it was, hey, Jonathan, your mother's dead. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it was literally like that. I remember I I was going to the fish store to buy fish for my uh, aquarium, for my tank. And I put my hand on the door and I'm on my like Nokia cell phone or whatever it was back in the day. And my life completely just fell apart as of... As of that moment and that was uh, like my mom was my best friend my biggest supporter um just you know my world and it was so sudden so unexpected that i didn't know what to do i mean I, I had no idea what to do and that was the first time i really learned too that like so the day of of my mom's passing you know everybody's rushing around we've got things to do we have to go here with do there we have to go you know view the body the- all the stuff you have to do. And I noticed that, you know, I'm in my head and my life as I know it has ended or completely changed at that moment. I thought my life had ended because, you know, my mom was, was everything. I love my parents dearly. And, but McDonald's was still open and people were still going to the gas station and still delivering FedEx parcels. And I'm like, what's go- like, why isn't everybody stopping this? Like my life as I know it is like, And that's when I learned that you don't know what people are going through. You don't know who is having that day. You don't know what people have gone through. When we are going through our daily routines and our lives and stuff like that, you just don't know. So I think it's important. That's what I really learned. It's important to treat people with respect, everybody with respect, because you don't know their backstory. You don't know what they're dealing with at the moment. Like I said, you don't know what they've been through to get to where they are. And whether it's the person that delivers your food or the person that you work for or whatever, everybody deserves the same level of respect. I don't think bank account, muscles, cars, job titles, I don't think any of those things make anybody better than anybody else at all. I think everybody deserves your utmost respect because you don't know what put them in that situation or what they're dealing with. So because that was like I said, I was like, how is McDonald's still open? Shut it down. Like Mm -hmm. my mom, like my mom just died. Shut it down. Like, don't you get it? And that's just not the way the world works. So that was a massive one for me because from then, um, I was diagnosed, uh, pretty quickly after with having severe anxiety, um, clinical depression, um, panic disorder, self-harm and suicidal thoughts. And that's, that wasn't talked about 20 years ago. This happened uh, 20 years ago, and I didn't know what was going on me. I thought I was going crazy, and it, I love that it's being talked about more now. And that's one of the reasons that I want to talk about my story a lot is you know because of the number of things that I've been through. Hopefully, people can relate and, and maybe they're going through the same thing, or use it as a cautionary tale and like don't go down this avenue if these things happen. Like, trust me. Like, learn from my mistakes. But I didn't know what was happening to me. You know, I didn't know what this was. I never heard of. Thankfully, I never, I never heard of anxiety. I never heard of depression. I, you know, it wasn't a thing. And if you, if if it was a thing, it was kind of like a joke or a punchline in a show that it would, you know, it, it, back then that you would hear about it and not like a serious like, hey, it's okay not to be okay, and to know what to do next. And yeah, so that rocked my world to the core. You know that that completely like just flipped my life as I knew it. And I was playing lacrosse. I had to start playing lacrosse uh, professionally yet. Kind of had things in, in order for the most part. You know, I was starting to experience, like I said, the anxiety, depression, but I was, I was kind of managing it. And then it just went off the rails. And the only way that I knew how to deal with it was the way that I dealt with my problems, you know, in college and having fun everything goes away 15, 20 beers at a time. You know, everything just goes away for that time. It's like, I'm in the moment, I'm having fun, you know. So I leaned on that and leaned on it hard. And I was probably almost close to four years, three and a half, four years. I was a non-functioning alcoholic where, you know, I was getting the shakes. I was drinking in the morning. I was drinking by myself. I was getting drunk every single day. I would walk into the beer store and they would have my order like coming out from the back for me like you know it was it was that kind of a thing and everything around me was falling apart as a result but I only knew that when I would be sober so it was as soon as I sobered up it was time to dive back in because you know the relationship strain it was putting with my on me with my father and I because because or my uh, girlfriend at the time or my friends or my lacrosse and all that kind of stuff I was wasn't playing as well and couldn't stay sober for you know the night before a game whereas you know that's the last time you shouldn't be drinking the night before a game all these things were falling apart but I had to quickly dive back into okay well it's time to get rid of those feelings and I'm very lucky and very thankful that I got a very severe acute, uh, case of acute pancreatitis that, um, put me in the hospital for just under a month. I had to have five blood transfusions. Um, I lost 60 pounds in total, 40 pounds in the first two weeks. And I almost died twice. And I needed that severity of it. I had, because I'd had people telling me, Hey, maybe you need to like chill out. Maybe like you're drinking a bit much. And I'm like, I got this. Like I, I knew at a point that I didn't got this, um, that it got me, but I was still telling myself because otherwise it meant, you know, feeling your feelings. And that's a, that's going to be another big uh, theme throughout our, our talks and stuff, but otherwise it meant feeling your feelings. And uh, yeah, that, you know, laying, laying in bed at 25 years old, laying in the hospital bed at night, by myself, you know. You're 25. You think you're invincible. You think you have all the answers. Whatever. You think whatever. And laying there and, and seeing my own mortality and and just it, it scared me absolutely straight. It's what I it's what I definitely needed. So I came out of that and uh, I basically had to start fresh. I, I you know I had, I had a bunch of friends over. They uh, I was supposed to be playing in a lacrosse tournament with the day that I got out. And they came to visit me because they won the tournament. My buddies came. They brought the, tr- the, the trophy over. They came to see me because they heard how sick I got. You know, it was a really fantastic thing. They brought me like the game ball. They all signed it. I still have it in my uh, in my case. And I said, take every ounce of alcohol out of this house. Grab, I was like, grab a grocery bag and take it all. And they're like, you sure? I'm like, oh, I am positive. What I just went through, I do not want to do that ever again take it all out of here. So that's what they did. And I've been 16 and a half years sober from alcohol ever since.
0: With those friends that came over to support you with going through the recovery aspect, did you kind of see them have a change in mindset and being open with you about your struggle and you actually really understanding if you were acting different post
1: everything? Yeah, for sure. And the first thing I said, too, is like, hey, guys, just because I went through this, like, don't stop calling me when it's time to go out. Like, I'm not going to just sit here with my dog and feel sorry for myself. Like, I still want to go out. I still want to have fun. I still want to be out around everybody. It's just I'm the DD now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll be I'll be around doing that. And yeah, like, I was like, don't don't forget about me. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't you know, don't just write me off. Like, give me a call. So I did that for the first couple of years and it was, it was great. You know, it was fun because I still had that group of friends. I was still playing lacrosse, um, went back to lacrosse, was having like the best season of my life because now I was healthy. I was working out. I was taking my health seriously. Like it was, it was awesome. And yeah, I, they were, they were really good. People didn't know how to, they were kind of on eggshells at first, you know, around me, like, With what he just had gone through, seeing the drastic changes in me physically—from you know gaining weight and being an alcoholic, and then you know losing it all and having to start again—and started, but I was like, "Hey, man, I'm just the same guy. I'm just the same guy that from just just let's just hang and have fun. Like I said, let's go out and just let me uh, let me be the DD. And when I had my career-ending injury at 26. And my lacrosse career was finalized is like I said, when that chapter closed and, you know, I, I still keep in touch with one of my buddies, one of my best friends, who's like, I met him playing lacrosse and I see the other guys that we talk on Facebook and stuff, but you know, that it's again, that chapter just kind of closed and moved on to the next one, but everybody was really supportive and really, it was new territory for a lot of people because we didn't, hadn't known anybody else who'd gone through this. And we were like yeah we were all just trying our best and they were really really great and really supportive that way so i'm i'm grateful to have and my my father as well obviously like he as well um was great and, and very support, supportive in that um in that aspect and helping me through that so yeah it was it was all new territory for everybody really
0: <laughs> after yeah. that chapter a lot of times people don't know what's next because like we talked about earlier with athletes, it's one-minded, they're on one path. What was that next chapter for you? Did you kind of have any ideas or were you testing different routes to see what was clicking?
1: So I, that's a great question. And I, I didn't have any ideas and I just, I just knew that health was becoming a priority and seeing, like I said, my mortality and and my, uh, you know, vulnerability and all that kind of stuff. But my mom had been a model in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And she always, even though we grew up on a farm, like I said, in the middle of nowhere, she would get her fashion magazines and stuff like that. And she'd talk about fashion and I'd like sit still like for, you know, five minutes, not chasing a tennis ball around or something. (laughs) And, you know, she'd show me, I'd be like, hey, that's actually kind of cool. Like, huh. Like, okay, I'm going to go chase my tennis ball now. (laughs) But um, I was like, okay, now I'm in shape. Um, You know, I'm, I'm maybe I'll I'll try modeling. Maybe I'll like, it was kind of a just happenstance of that. And um, my father asked a work colleague of his whose daughter modeled what the best agencies in, in Toronto were and found out the names and went for open castings and got some contract offers and started doing that in conjunction with working for my father and just doing a little bit on the side and then had the chance to transition into that full time. And it was, It was interesting because I I didn't bounce around because I was working with my father and that was the plan. And I always had wanted to be a part of the business. Um, But then this just kind of, just kind of happened as a result of, and then I had the chance to start doing it full-time professionally, internationally. And, you know, with his blessing, he's like, yeah, I think with what you've been through and how hard you've worked and, you know, if you can make this work as a career, then, you know, go for it. Like, that's, uh, I totally support you. So I just kind of, like I said, when one door closes, another one opens and slowly transitioned into that. And then officially became a, a full-time model. And in December will be uh, 15 years that I've been modeling. Uh, yeah. Internationally. So, but I was lucky because I didn't, I didn't bounce around. I had a very strong um, uh, place, like I said, with my father and with working there. And I knew that that was a thing, but you know, I just kind of looked into this and dabbled and and got some opportunities and went on to the next thing.
0: With being an international model, what has been one of your favorite shoots, locations that you've gotten to visit? Man, there's so
1: many, like, um, you know, doing it for so long and doing it, you know, in the way that I have, I've, I've done thousands of shoots, but Places. So I would say uh, as far as places that really stick out, Cape Town, um, South Africa was incredible. That was my first modeling uh, trip. I got a contract to go over there. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if lions would be walking on the street. I didn't know, like, this is Africa. What do I know about Africa? Like, I don't know anything about the African continent. Like, I mean, I, I know what I see on TV. Uh, the people are super friendly, absolutely beautiful um, landscape great cost of living um, that was a wonderful place to live I my first big campaign that I booked was a really memorable shoot that was uh, I was shooting for jockey I was in New York and I was shooting for jockey underwear doing a campaign and they flew us they they two guys two girls and I remember two because I went in there and I felt like I had a really good thing like, you know really good response and you know you feel good about a casting and then nothing just crickets and I'm like Oh well, I guess I guess I didn't get it. And then, like four months later, they're like, "Hey, you got the jockey job." I'm like, what? "Jockey job?" Like, remember <laughs> four months. I guess they had been going different stops and hitting like different big U.S. markets. And they picked two guys and two girls. And that was my first time booking a big one where it's like, "Yes, like I booked this." They saw a lot of people, so they flew us out to uh, Denver, Colorado, and then we went up about two and a half hours into the mountains, and we're shooting and. I remember the first day of the shoot, um, you know, being up there. I'm shooting in some boxer briefs, and I'm like, okay, hey, I'm on a big-time modeling shoot and stuff. And, it, you know, they treat us uh, fantastically. But my first shot was a little cabin. I had to jump over the railing, and it was 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh. One, it was one degree Celsius. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, well, everything gets tighter, so I look really <laughs> ripped. But... <laughs> So I'm jumping over and it was just, it was a fun. It was, like I said, it was a big one. Um, you know, that being able to see that, that kind of, um, to experience the Rockies like that, to have that kind of shoot, to work on a, for a big company like that. Um, it, just by accident, I'm not this kind of person at all. And I can maybe count on my on three fingers how many times I've missed a flight. But for some reason, the day I was supposed to be coming home from that shoot, I, my my flight was taking off, to say like at eleven thirty. I set my alarm for like ten thirty, and I had to get to the airport. I just spaced out, and then I was like, you know what? I'm in Denver. I'm going to spend the day walking around. I went and just walked around, had the day to myself, and then flew out the next day. So that was a pretty memorable one, too. That was, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was definitely really up. Awesome. But there's been so many. I met so many wonderful people that. You know, fellow models, uh, people who work, you know, in the crew, um, photographers, designers. I mean, I've met so many wonderful people. i um, met a lot of not so wonderful people, but that's just, that's kind of society. <laughs> and that's just society in general. I mean, that's just, you know, working life in general. But yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of great experiences, but I'd say those, those two stand out. I could probably think of some more, but yeah, I'd say those two stand out.
0: Sometimes we hear about the dangers of the modeling industry with health and fitness. Did that ever play an effect with you, where like stress, starving yourself, anything like that play an effect
1: for you? Yes, absolutely, it did. Um, I have a very addictive personality. Like I said before, it, it's one of my greatest assets. One of my you know worst assets is where I do something. And when I started working out after getting out of the hospital, I thought. I'm going to work out a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I figure I'm, I'm working out. I'm doing something good. But if you're going two or three times a day and you're spending six or seven hours in the gym, that's obsessive. That's, you know, that's too much. So I had that kind of mentality. And I was in South Africa. and am still working out like a professional athlete because I saw these people. And especially just for myself, I saw these guys like on – you know, covers of fitness magazines, stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, I've got to like really bring my best. So I'm lifting the heaviest dumbbells, all that kind of stuff. And I got there and I was like twice the size of most of these guys because they're very – a lot of guys are lean and very ripped. And I was like, huh, interesting. So you start to compare yourself to, you know, my like say my roommate. Like why is he booking so much stuff? I spent so much time in the – so much more time in the gym – why is he booking more than this, or why did he book that job and I didn't book this job? So that started to play up in my head, and I, so I, I my next stop, I came home from uh, six months in uh, South Africa, went back to Canada. I left summer in South Africa and went back to Canada in February, and I was <laughs> like, just a heads up, I'm going to be miserable for two weeks. Like, hey, good to see you guys, missed you a lot, but <laughs> like, I'm going to be miserable. So. I was there for two weeks and I decided to drive. I was, my next stop was Miami. So I drove down to Miami. And I was already kind of having these body dysmorphia issues and ideas because of what I just told you of like the, you know, well, why are they and why are I? And something about it. And um, the dark side of modeling, um, especially then uh, before the Me Too movement and stuff. So the second day that I was in Miami. I was told by my agency, you're going to be going into casting. Um, This designer, if he likes you, he'll book you a lot, but he's a bit of a creep, Um, but he wants to see you. He designs swimwear and underwear. I'm like, okay. So I'm in my first major US market. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go. Been there for two days. Hadn't even found a place to live yet. Still in a hotel, but I'm just getting all that stuff worked out. So I go to this guy's house at like eight o'clock at night and... Long story short, I'm trying on some stuff for for him, and I come out of the bathroom and he sexually assaults me, basically. And, and he uh, just, you know, it, it just floored me that this was happening, like as it was happening. And okay, so I, I got out of that situation. I, you know, try but I, I just, like I said, I was I was shocked, and I just told him, you know, get away from me, do not touch me. I left, you know, my head spinning. And then two weeks later, I started uh, to dabble in what would be an eight-year struggle with an eating disorder. Um, wh- I would say I was a functioning bulimic um, because I would – so I started – like I said, I started seeing these guys who were half my size. And I was like, okay, I need to get lean. I need to lose all this muscle because i have just a, a naturally – I don't – Uh, This is my, this is, these are my genetics and I, I carry muscle. So I was like, okay, I'm going to stop lifting weights completely. I'm going to only run, only do abs, cardio and abs. And, but I would go through my day. I would eat all my meals, my healthy meals. I would take all my vitamins. I would go to the gym. And then when I would get back to my house and I was alone, I would feel my feelings and, that's when you know that that same thing I was doing with alcohol. I was like, well, I need something here, and I was I was eating healthy and learning how to eat healthy it was you know um, there wasn't as much information as readily available with regards to eating healthy, and there was still a lot of things you know learning by mistake, by uh, by trying and making mistakes along the way and stuff, but that would just I would check out I would you know, buy a hundred dollars worth of junk food, I would eat it all and then I'd purge it. And like I said, that went on for about eight years of doing that. And yeah, that is definitely a big part of, um, you know, that modeling and and that comparison and that um, those extremities of fitness and eating and stuff like that, where it kind of, it, it not kind of can, it, it, became a problem and became a big problem, but it was, I, it was like, well, it's better than feeling my feelings. You know, it's kind of like I had the mentality when I was drinking, if I would start drinking first thing in the morning and you know, it was four o'clock and I was wasted, but I, you know, there's a party happening tonight. If I just make myself throw up, I can kind of hit the reset button and I can go all night. So I, kind of went back on that when i would start feeling the feelings about you know the sexual assault and my mom and, and all that and there's some other like family stuff then i would you know go into that and do that so yeah that was a that was definitely a long struggle and yeah just uh took a long time to beat that one for sure but it's uh yeah it was it's all a process
0: after the eight years, what changed in behavior or mentality that kind of brought you in a different direction?
1: So while that was going on, like, so I, I kept traveling. Um, I went to London for modeling as well. I was traveling kind of constantly for about three years, which is fantastic. But then it starts to kind of wear on you. So I was in London. Um, it was the fall. I remember it was right after New York Fashion Week in uh, in New York, and they're like, "Hey, this agency in, in London wants you." I'm like, "Awesome, let's go!" So I go, and I um I remember work was good. The weather was crap. <laughs> you know, it's London in the fall, so it's like depressing. But the work was good. I'm having fun. You know, getting to know a new city living with a lady that I'd been set up with through the uh, agency. She was a wonderful woman who, um, you know, got placed with. So I was kind of like in a, a little, like a, a fam, like a home environment with her. And, um, but then all of a sudden, the phone stopped ringing and things got quiet. And I remember 18 days, I would just, I would go to the gym. I would go to the grocery store. I'd get a whole bunch of food. I would sit there. I would eat it. I'd throw it up. I would just, you know, I was just, whatever. So my buddy and I decided to go to Amsterdam and I had been completely sober from everything, um, since my pancreatitis, because I, I smoked weed in college, but I had kind of given it up because drinking was more the priority for me. And when I would like be drunk and having fun and somebody passes you a joint and you just take one hit, all of a sudden you've got the spins, you're nauseous. It just ruins your night. So I was like, drinking is much more important to me. I'm going to quit this. And then when I got out of drinking and then I thought, okay, maybe I should not, um, you know, just jump right back into another substance, even though I replaced it with fitness. I didn't realize that in, you know, till uh, till later with hindsight. Anyway, long story. Um, I got there, went to Amsterdam, went in Rome, you know, got to smoke some weed. I did. And my, my mind automatically said, Hey, that felt pretty good. Let's, let's do that again. So that started about a seven year, um, Struggle with smoking weed, and I know people will say weed's not addictive. Weed's that it almost ruined my life, and it was it was the distraction that I needed. I don't know. I mean, I don't know the. It almost ruined me financially. It almost ruined my my relationships. It almost ruined you know countless things. I would smoke so much that I'd be embarrassed how much I was buying from my dealers. So I would go and buy from different dealers to like accrue a bunch of it. Because like I said, I was just embarrassed in how like, but I would go through my day, the same thing. I'd go through my day. I'd wake up, I'd train my clients. I'd go to a shoot. If I had it, I'd go to the gym. And then it's when I, I had to feel those feelings, you know, and I had to deal with it somehow. So, Smoking weed and an eating disorder kind of go like hand in hand, especially with that, with bulimia, because you smoke and you get munchies and then you just want to eat a bunch of food anyway. And then you regret it immediately. So I did that. I was addicted to also nitrous oxide, uh, you know, like whippets um, like they're uh, like, it's laughing gas, but they call it like hippie crack because it's so addictive. And then, Um, had a battle with Adderall and then some back, um, muscle relaxing back pills that were kind of all happened. The weed smoke, like I was smoking weed and doing these other things. And then, you know, it was time for me to stop smoking weed because I had a bad experience and I was like, okay, I've been wanting to quit this for a long time. I've been trying to quit this for a long time, but then I started leaning on the back pills and I was taking these back pills that are, uh, they're just over the counter. I knew that if I ever took a prescription back pain pill, I would be like my life would be over. But they were over the counter, and uh, I remember there's there's 500 milligrams of methocarbamol, which is the active um, muscle relaxer, and there's 200 milligrams of ibuprofen. And it says don't take more than eight at a time, and I would take them because I had some aches from lacrosse or from working out, and I'd take them when I was smoking and stuff. And it'd, like I noticed if I took like. Like six at a time, I'd be like, oh, I feel a little bit, I feel kind of good. I feel pretty loose. Like, huh. So when my weed smoking stopped, I jumped into those with the same mentality that I always do everything. And I got up to the point, and it's amazing what our bodies are capable of as far as, you know, throwing these things at them and tolerance and stuff like that. So I got up to the point where I was taking 100 of those pills every single day. I was taking 50,000 milligrams of metacarbamol and 20,000 milligrams of ibuprofen every single day. And I don't say that proud or bragging. And that's just the fact of the matter. That's just what happened. And I would go in every day and I buy the generic bottle. I would just put a handful of 30, you know, drink it down uh, just with water. Not, Of course, I, I'm not drinking alcohol at this point. So I need something another 20 or 30, I, you know, wouldn't count them out and it'd be a hundred every day. And I started to lose a lot of weight. I had no, um, I had no energy. I had no motivation. I was getting very lightheaded. I was having fainting spells at my house and my anxiety was through the roof because I'm having these fainting spells at my house. And I'm thinking like, I'm going to be driving on the highway and I'm going to faint and I'm going to hurt somebody, you know, mm-hmm. or I'm going to be somewhere in public and I'm going to like, They So, but I always just thought like, oh, it's probably just from taking a hundred pills the day before and a hundred pills the day before that and a hundred pills the day before that. So I finally got to a point, I was on a shoot and I remember we were shooting and it was, I was sitting up on top of a truck and I had to jump down. Every time I jumped down, I was like, I'm about to pass out. I'm going to cause a scene and pass out. Like something's wrong with my body. And next morning I woke up, I didn't take any pills that night because that was just like an anxious, panicky mess to be in that situation. And everybody was like, Hey, yeah, good shoot. And I'm like, ha ha ha. Yeah. Great shoot. huh?" And I'm just, you know, in my head. And the next morning I had another shoot at six o'clock in the morning and I was brushing my teeth and my knees were like buckling. Like I couldn't even hold my own weight. I called my agency. I was like, I'm going to the emergency room right now. I can't go to the shoot. I went, sure enough, I had a, um, intestinal ulcer, um, internal bleeding from an intestinal ulcer, but I never knew it because I didn't see any signs of blood. Like I wasn't vomiting blood. I wasn't passing blood. It was just leaking into my abdomen. So I stopped taking them at that point And I, basically that was when I was like, okay, I, I need to get healthy again. But I was like, I can't, do what I've been doing this plan or these like, and that's the other thing too. I've, I've learned to forgive myself a lot for the things that I've done to myself and the things that have done been happened, like have, have been done to me, like losing my mom or, or the sexual assault. Like, and I lost a couple of best friends as well, unfortunately, but I forgive myself for all of those things because the the bad des- decisions I made, I was just trying to do my best with what I had. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to do and the things that happened out of my control. Well, those are out of my control and I can forgive myself for those things, even though I hold some, I held on to a lot of guilt and, and you know, frustration and all that kind of stuff. So I said, look, I, I need to go talk to somebody. I need, there was always an excuse why I didn't want to go to therapy and it was too expensive, but I always had money for drugs. It, took up too much time. I always had time for drugs. I, in therapies for wimps, I'm not going to sit there and have somebody judge me. I, you know, all these things. And I was like, enough is enough. Like, forget all that stuff. I need to do something. I, I'm running out of substances to go on to next. So I basically just went to a therapist, found somebody through a referral uh, from a great friend of mine. And rolled up my sleeves and that's when like things got hard. Like I've had people talk about rock bottoms and, and I know it's different for everybody. I've hit rock bottom dozens of times, you know, dozens of times where, you know, enough is enough. You know, I'm flushing down whatever my, I'm flushing this or I'm throwing this away and I'm done with it. And then I'll, you know, come back and, you know, break up with somebody or burn or or burn a bridge. I'm like, that's enough. Like I had to stop. And, they weren 't enough to get me to stop, but when I did this, and I had nothing to fall back on, and it was finally just like all of these feelings that I had been not dealing with and kind of pushing off and distracting myself with all these substances and traveling and and modeling and work and you know building a fitness business, I have my own personal training business, so i'd like focus on that all these other distractions that 's when it all came crashing down like 15 years of adulthood that I had been putting off. And it was like, okay, like this came, this went back to the farm. It was like, roll up your sleeves. It's time to work. Like there's no, there's no, I'm, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I wanted to give up and I thought it'd be easier to give up, but I was like, that's just not who I am. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to do this hard work and I'm going to do this and focus on this and make this I'm, I'm going to make through. I'm, I'm going to make it my way through this. And yeah, that's just what I had to do. And I, like I said, I had a wonderful therapist to work with who gave me some, the tools to really teach me how to live as for, for the first time as a functioning sober adult uh, in my life. And I kept always telling myself, like, you need to be the person that people think you are when they look at you because we all, you know, we judge a book by its cover whatever. And people are like, Oh, there's Jonathan. He's traveling for modeling and stuff. And I looked a certain way on the outside but on the inside. I was absolutely broken. I was just a shell of a person. And I was, I felt like a fraud because, you know, everybody's looking at me a certain way or telling me that I'm a certain thing. And I'm telling myself and looking at myself and I see a completely different thing in the mirror, but uh, through hard work and great support and You know, that stick-to-itiveness and like we talked about in the beginning, like when you start something, you see it through and it's going to be hard along the way, but you show up every day and for me, a big thing was focusing on the positives. You know, like I'm so grateful to have my dog. She's around here somewhere, but (laughs) she would help me get out of my own head. And when I was cooped up in my apartment and I just was like you know, this would be just so much easier just to take the other way out. The, you know, I don't want to talk about it, but you know what I mean? That kind of way out. And I'd be like, no, she is my, she is my responsibility. Like my, my like the cattle were on the farm. She is, I, I made a, I made a choice and I made a promise to her that I will take care of her. I will give her the best life that she can. And I owe it to her to get her out and to walk around the block today as much as I can't bring myself to even look myself in the mirror and I did like I owe it to her to do that and you know she helped a lot and yeah I I, uh, just did that and it really uh, it was really hard it was extremely hard but it was extremely rewarding because I did finally learn how to live as a sober functioning adult for the first time in my Adult life uh, at the age of thirty-five. So I've now been six and a half years sober from everything else. Um, you know, and that's I think where this all started with was that's when the eating disorder stopped. You know, I was like, this has got to stop. And I know how to eat properly. I I don't have the um, like not I don't have like smoking weed to. You know, you know, like the, the munchies will just be that much more when you want to like, when you're, uh, when you're high, you want to eat that much more, you know, I don't have that. So I was like, this is all going to stop now. And I'm turning a new page. I'm, I'm going forward differently from here and time to learn how to be that guy. So I just one step at a time. And then I realized how little I actually know and how much, you know, I want to learn and I want to keep learning and like speaking to people like yourself and, and, you know, coming into a community and, and, you know, watch so many podcasts and stuff and like, and learning from other people, it's like, man, this is amazing. This is awesome. How we can like, how we can learn from each other, but kind of as the older we get, if we have that kind of mindset, how little we know, and we can just keep soaking and in and, and growing and and learning from one another. So yeah, I love that. I love that you mentioned the whole dog aspect. Cause
0: I just got a dog. She's upstairs laying around and Imagine how the dogs can change a mental state where I wake up and if I'm going through something, I look at her for one second and I'm feeling motivated because I made that promise because I adopted her. I want to give her the best life that she's ever had and I will spoil her and she is definitely spoiled. But it's so rewarding because she's always going to be by my side. Like, she's not going to leave me. Unless she wants to go get a toy, then she'll leave me and leave us. (laughs) But there's just something about what animals do to us where they kind of just make us feel a little better or a little happier, emotionally better. And it's so rewarding. And kind of how you've gone through that with your dog, where your dog has changed who you are, that's something that we're able to connect with because we're both going through something. And I always feel that, and I appreciate you being so open because- There's people out there that are going to listen to this and they may be afraid to really share that they've gone through a similar experience and hearing your voice and you sharing, they now can find that community. They can find that connection. They could reach out to you and be able to converse and really share what they've gone through. And that's how we're all there for each other. And I think this platform definitely gives that opportunity for everyone to be able to say, you're not alone. We're all here. There's someone is going through the same thing. It might be just a search to find that person to really connect with.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely it. And that's why I wanted to do this because I, when I first talked about it um, publicly on my social media, I was like, I just said I was revealing, you know, years of secrets and shames because these were secrets and these are my deepest secrets. I didn't think I would, I talked about alcohol because people knew I didn't drink because i go somewhere and they'd be like, you want to drink? Like, no, I don't drink. So I, that kind of, you know, that, but, eating disorder, drug addiction, sexual assault. I never thought I would talk. I thought that was going to the grave with me. I thought, because I, like I said, they're my secrets. They were my shames, but, and it's not an easy thing to talk about, you know? um, And the first few times that I've had these conversations publicly, it's been nerve wracking and it's been anxiety kind of inducing, but I genuinely like like yourself and like you just said I want to connect with one person and I don't I don't think I have it all figured out by all means like first of all let me just start by saying that like I'm not like I do not think that I got all quite the opposite I want to sit here and say you know I don't have it all figured out um these are the things that I've been through you know, like I said like I said in the beginning you don't know who's going through what And we're all, you know, we all deal with different things. But if I can connect with, or like you said, help give somebody that feeling, because I remember just feeling so alone and so empty, and like I, I, I was, I conceded that I'll never, I'll never live a normal life again. I was going to be living a life of addiction or something, or or these you know, mental health issues, everything, I just, it was never going to be normal. And yeah, of course, I had the ups and downs of everyday life, like we all do. And, and, you know, feeling that is kind of what makes life wonderful. But yeah, that feeling of of not being alone and looking at somebody. And I think it's part of the reason why I've gone through these things, I wouldn't change it, because it's made me who I am. At the time, I mean, they were, you know, drastic, and very hard and, and very tough lessons to learn. But now I think my next step is to pay it forward and to connect and to really help and to, like I said, to drop that, uh, ego or, or, uh, you know, like I said, that forgiveness for yourself and to be able to open up and yeah, to really help us connect like we're doing now and to reach out and it is wonderful about these platforms and with technology these days and that kind of stuff, how we can do that. And I think it's a very important thing. And as corny as it sounds, I just want to help people and help make the world a better place. However I can. Um, And if, if, you know, humbling myself and, and sharing some of the things that I've been through and admitting my faults and experiences and stuff like that helps that then, Hey man, I'm all for it. If it's one person, then that's, one more than I ever would have thought. And that just makes me feel wonderful. And also I want to keep learning myself. Mm-hmm. This is cathartic for me, you know, to be able to speak about these things and to be able to talk about these things and to meet people like yourself who, you know, you can connect with and, and to learn from it's very cathartic and, and important for me in my own personal growth. So yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a very important thing to be doing and to continue doing and continue I know a lot of people are doing it, but I think it's an important thing to, to keep doing.
0: Something our listeners like to learn even more about our guests. When you're not working, what does Jonathan like to do for fun nowadays?
1: Well, I play a lot of hockey. Like I said, I mean I, I play hockey four days a week. I'm a very I'm a big time homebody. Fitness has always been a very big part of my life. I still love going to the gym. Um, but I've learned how to balance my fitness and my um it, it, it was go to the gym for two hours. It was play a hockey game that night, but then it was run six miles in between. And I was like, okay. I was like, that's addictive, Jonathan. That's, that's the part we like, the gym and hockey is enough. Like we need to take that part out, not to mention like it's messing with my knees and stuff like that. Um, so honestly, I just, I, like I said, I'm a very big homebody. My dog is such a big part of my world. Um, you know, I love her to death and I'm, I'm one of the reasons I wanted to move to Texas and I wanted her to have, cause she was an apartment dog. She's a Beagle English Bulldog. And I got her because, you know, she kind of fit the lifestyle of where I was living, but I wanted her to have a backyard. I wanted her to have a yard down the you know street, you know, not like city living. I didn't want her to have to like, just, you know, sit there, uh, on the heater, looking down 20 floors at all the other dogs and people walking around. I'm like, oh. So to answer that question, um, fitness and athletics are a really big part of my life. Um, spending time with friends, um, playing hockey, but I'm a really big homebody. I really enjoy reading um, and I spend a little bit too much time on my phone. Um, but, you know, like we all probably do. But, you know, I try and spend a lot of some of it, um, at least, you know, not just watching funny dog and cat videos and stuff like <laughs> But you know, trying to learn something as well, and and to use these tools and technology we have. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty low key kind of I'm pretty I'm pretty low maintenance, low key kind of guy. Just yeah, pretty. I would say that about myself. So
0: now you're gonna go on your phone, and it's gonna be even more dog and cat videos. Because like we say, our phones are hearing everything. That Always we talk about. So I'm gonna go on my phone. And something's gonna be showing on a video. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listened to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge?
1: I would say that's a good one. I would say that the just get started is a big part of it. Once you're started, persistence, and there are always going to be obstacles, but the persistence for me, when I was in my darkest times, and like we said about our dogs, I'd look over and I'd see her and I would focus. That was my positivity for the day. And even if it was just a glimpse of positivity, like what a goofball, like what is she doing? Why is she doing (laughs) that? I would try and focus on that and keep knowing that like you can absolutely do this and it's There's like, do not quit persistence and see things through to the end. And when you see things through to the end, then, you know, congratulate yourself, pat yourself on the back, acknowledge that, and then keep moving forward and set another another goal. But the same thing happens with these negative things too. And I will say like, if something negative happens in your life, take time to really feel those feelings, take time to, you know, grieve or you know mourn or whatever it is you have to do um if it's losing a job not getting a job losing somebody whatever it is but look back at that situation and try and see what am i supposed to learn from this what is the lesson here and really focus on and i don't i think that no matter what happens in our life um you know some of the most horrible things that i've been through have taught me lessons and it's it's that hindsight a lot of times where you can't see it, you know, it's like, but if you look back and you see and learn and, and really like learn, take the lessons from it and move forward with those lessons. And like you say, and I love the name of your podcast and I, that's why I knew I had to do it is rise to the challenge because this too shall pass, whether it's, whether it's something great that's happening in your life, you know, this too shall pass, whether it's something, awful that's happening in your life, this too shall pass. I mean, that's that's a very important, I think, um, thing to remember about life in general is that no matter what's happening, for better or worse, this too shall pass. So rise to the challenge and stay present. And uh, man, you got this. Like, you absolutely got this. If I can, and just, you know, I'm doing my best. If I can get through the things that I've gotten through, then whoever's watching this, you absolutely can do it. Absolutely, and you know I'm still just working and trying to do my best. But we can do this.
0: Well, Jonathan, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you.
1: Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks for having me, man. It was uh, it was a great pleasure. I really love what you're doing. Um, like I said, I really enjoyed a lot of your your uh, enjoyed your other episodes and. I think it's, it's fantastic that you're making a point of doing this and doing this with a purpose and yeah, man, just keep it up. Big fan. And, uh, yeah, really, really pleased to be on here. And it's, uh, it's my pleasure. Tune in next time. Hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge.
0: Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You die.